Numbers chapter 26 this evening. You know, there may be occasions in our lives when uh, God may actually have the audacity to ask us to do something a second time, especially if it was one of those things that when you did it the first time, you thought, boy, that was challenging, it was difficult, it involved way more than I ever thought that it was going to require, and yet you do it, and you're faithful, and, and you honor, and you obey the Lord, and then yet, lo and behold, somewhere down the road, to your surprise, God says, I want you to do that again now. I want you to go ahead and do that same thing once again. And, and that's really, we have to imagine, as we look at chapter 26, in some senses, what must have been a little bit of the experience for Moses and for the children of Israel, as now God asked them, as he did about 40 years ago, to take a census to number all of the children of Israel that were aged 20 years old and above again so that God could get, in a sense, them an awareness as another step in this process of their lives and journey with God historically, an acquaintance with their numbers among the tribes and the amount of fighting men that they had. And again, keep in mind, you're talking about conducting a census of upwards the somewhere around two and a half or so million people. So, I mean, this wasn't something that would just be a quick thing. You know, uh, th this would be a, a process and, and quite a cumbersome, lengthy process, something that would require quite a bit of effort. But yet again, the important thing is that whether God asks us to do something one time or whether God asks us to do something two times or God asks us to do the same thing 20 times, the important thing is if God asks it, that we do it. And if we don't understand why he's doing it, or we don't understand why he would ask us to do such a thing again, and I have found in my lives that sometimes the Lord will ask you to do something, and then down the road, much to your surprise, he may say, now I want you to do that again. I want you to take that step again. I know it's going to require some sacrifice or some commitment or some involvement of your effort, but yet I want you to do it again and trust that I have a purpose for it and trust that I have a reason for it. And, and as we look at this next of why the Bible here gives to us this book uh, here in the Old Testament called Numbers, primarily because in chapter 1 and chapter 26, that's exactly what God asked the children of Israel to do here, to take a numbering of the people, to take a census. And we see that coming to pass. And again, here we won't uh, bombard you with bogging down all the details and counting through that's, again, my gracious gift to you that as I study and prepare, I don't make you have to go through every detail that you, if you're having trouble sleeping this evening, you can read through every single line of this entire chapter and I'm sure it will help you rest in the Lord quite adequately uh, as you drift off to sleep this evening. So look at chapter 26, verse 1. It tells us it came to pass... After the plague, now that's a reference to what we just saw last week in chapter 25, that plague, remember, where 24,000 people died as the result of a satanic attack in the area of the sensuality and the weakness of the flesh in the area of sexual sin and immorality, 24,000 people among the children of Israel were lost the far-reaching extent of this plague that took place among them because they entered into idolatry and sexual immorality uh, with the Moabite women as a result of the council of Balaam to King Balak. 
And it's after that plague and Phineas remembers zealously for his God drove the spear through those two individuals taking a stand for God and making atonement and interceding on their behalf to a beautiful picture and type of Christ to put an end to that plague. It's after that plague now that it says the Lord after that time spoke to Moses and to Eliezer the son of Aaron the priest and again notice often God would speak to Moses and Aaron but now we have God speaking to Moses and Eliezer because at this time Aaron has now died he's gone to be with the Lord his son Eliezer has now taken over his role as the high priest uh, together in that role with Moses now so again the workman at times is transitioned and move on as we see even what happened with Moses uh, here at the end uh, of the chapter as Joshua will then take the role of successor for Moses but in the same way Eliezer now is the high priest historically and God speaks to Moses and Eliezer saying take a census, a numbering of all the congregation of the children of Israel from 20 years old and above by their father's houses and all who are able to go to war in Israel. So we're going to see this census now. Again, this is a second census like the one that was taken about 40 years prior. Same stipulations are given. God says number the males that are 20 years old and above who are able to go to war. So again, we we see two purposes primarily for this new census being taken place now. Again, keep in mind this is the next generation now all of the uh, adults from that first generation remember who in unbelief chose not to enter in to God's best and God's intention in their unbelief uh, they didn't enter in the first time so God said you're going to wander for 40 years in the wilderness one year for every day that you did not uh, in a sense uh, you know one year for every day that they were in that land spying out and yet still after that 40 day of spying and looking around the land that they chose not to obey God said for 40 years you're going to wander around until every one of that generation dies off and their children would go in so these are now the children the next generation and God again issues a census those 20 years old and above who are able to go to war so two purposes for this census one clearly to be aware of what their standing fighting army was, what their fighting men in the military would be. And that was important because as they went into the promised land, there would be battles, uh, there would be conflicts. So it was important as they were about to enter into a time of war. Uh, even Jesus himself, remember, gave that analogy where he said that a person doesn't go to war unless they first count the costs to see whether or not they can succeed. So it was important that they be aware of their fighting army and their standing military uh, the second reason of this we'll see as well in the chapter was to help plan with the division and the distribution of the land allotments as God is then once again the land going to assign different areas and territories to the different tribes this numbering was helpful to make the plans of how God would designate what different territories that they would be and we'll see at the end of the chapter one thing that's of note I think and I think we believe we said this back in the first chapter when we looked at this but I think it's worthy to reiterate it's interesting to me how the Holy Spirit indicates, notice, from God's perspective that young men by age 20, interesting that that's the age that God chooses here, young men by age 20 were, from God's perspective, to be ready to embrace the roles and responsibilities of manhood. God said those 20 years old and above are able to go to war. So from God's perspective, 
From God's perspective, these men at this age, it was that time in their life that God said they should be ready, they should be able to actively engage in the roles and responsibilities of manhood, and it was time for them to engage in the battle among God's people. Uh, And I so appreciate this because... You know, tragically, in some ways, I feel like that the further we go, generation after generation, it seems that it takes longer and longer for our young people to arrive at an age of maturity, and especially our young men. Uh, and, and I think it's a, a travesty that we are, in some ways, maybe failing to recognize and failing to exhort and to equip and to prepare and to encourage our young men, listen, it's time for you to grow up and to be a man. And to engage the role of a man and to contribute and be able to engage in the battle and not just sit around passively. Look, you should be in the battle now. It's time for you to engage. It's time for you to embrace your roles and responsibilities for your families and and with the congregation and to engage. And here God interestingly sets this age. God says at 20 years old, they're able. They're able. From my perspective, they're able. They're, they're ready, God says, and they should be ready to embrace these roles. And I just you know, find that so beautifully uh, interesting and just a good reminder that I believe that we, we need to encourage our young people. We need to encourage them to embrace the role and the call of God upon their life. I mean, what a special thing, because at that age, boy, there's such passion and energy and enthusiasm. They have much to contribute. And the devil just wants to squander that. See, we have to see that I believe as as a real ploy of the devil, the devil looks at our young generation and and our youth, our young adults, and and the ability they have, the potential, the giftings, the energy, many of the things that they can bring to the table. And the devil says, boy, that would be a dangerous thing in the hands of God and of his kingdom. So, of course, he wants to sidetrack and distract them with all kinds of other things. And, and I think we need to win them back and encourage them to embrace their roles. So they're now going to take this census, going around, numbering the people. Verse 3, Moses and Eliezer the priests then spoke with them in the plains of Moab by the Jordan. Notice they're across from the Jericho. They're on the border at this point, as we've said before, ready to go in, saying, take a census of the people from 20 years old and above, verse 4, just as the Lord commanded Moses and the children of Israel who came out of the land of Egypt. And now we begin to get some of these numbers given to us. Verse 5 down through verse 7 gives us the number of men 20 and over. Uh, from Reuben, verse 7 says there was 43,730. So again, without making a reference chapter 1, that, that's really a slight decrease. It was about 46,500 back in chapter 1, 40 years prior. Uh, verse 8 and uh, down th- through verse 11 now give us this little reminder of the incident with the people of uh, Korah from that particular tribe. And I just want to draw your attention. Notice verse 9 says the sons of Eliab were Nemuel and Dathan and Abiram. And remember our story with Dathan and Abiram, how they consorted together uh, as representatives of the congregation. It says, and they contended against Moses and Aaron in the company of Korah when he contended against the Lord. And remember our story, the Holy Spirit reminds us, and how the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed them up together with Korah when that company died, when the fire devoured 250 men and they became a sign. So the Holy Spirit reminds us 
of this horrible incident when, remember, the rebellion of Korah we talked about. When Korah orchestrated this rebellion, he started this sort of you know, palace coup. Dathan and Abiram are two other central figures. And again, rebellion is always contagious. And Korah instigated this whole thing. He got Dathan and Abiram on board. And ultimately, 250 of the other prominent leaders to rebel against Moses and Aaron's authority and to question them. But ultimately, of course, they were rebelling against God. God's authority and the result of that was a horrible tragedy God very powerfully reproved them for their rebellion in their hearts and what they were doing and the ground member opened up and swallowed uh, them down into it this incredible uh, loss of life as the result of that the Holy Spirit calls that to remembrance but look at verse 11 interesting the Spirit of God gives us this little insight here regarding the children of this man Korah that led such a rebellion. It says, nevertheless, the children of Korah did not die. Now, I find that beautiful. What does that indicate? First of all, it indicates the fairness and the mercy of God, that God spared Korah's children. Here's this man who was rebellious, this man who in his attitude and his actions did very erroneous things. He rebelled against God. He did harmful things in the lives of many people. And though he turned away from God and did very hurtful, wrong things, yet it says here, verse 11, that when God dealt with that, God says that he spared the children of Korah. That his children didn't die. God was fair with the children. God was merciful to the children. And I would say this too, and, and I draw this from other places in the scripture. As it tells us that the children of Korah didn't die, in some ways it indicates to me too that they likely did not engage into the same things that they saw their father do. And that's a very common tendency, unfortunately, that happens a lot of times in family dynamics is that children see things their parents do and, and ultimately they then embrace the same lifestyles, especially negative and wrong lifestyles. That's a very common pattern. Or sometimes when their parents do evil and wrong things in their attitudes and actions, they then have a tendency to just sort of accept, well, therefore, they're justified in living like victims the rest of their life. So therefore, they repeat the patterns to the same extent or sometimes greater extents of evil than even their parents or their fathers in their hurt because they believe almost that they're entitled now to behave wrongly that is the victim that they have this victim mentality and so they can just act the same way and it's almost justified. It doesn't seem that was the case with Korah's sons. They didn't just accept or they didn't just assume that they had to live as victims as their father's choices. In fact, it tells us this, and let me just read it to you quickly. Second Chronicles chapter 20 records this of Korah's sons. I find this very interesting. It says this in chapter 20 of Second Chronicles, verse 19. Listen to what it says. It says, Then the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Korahites, Korah's sons, years later, stood up, to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with voices loud and high. And they led this chorus of praise at a time when Israel was about to engage in the battle. They were the front runners, the leaders in the process, leading the praise and worship. So you have a father who was a rebel and rejected the will of God, the plan of God, the purposes of God, and caused all kinds of pain and problems. And you have a group of kids who God spared who said, you know what? we're going to stand up and do the exact opposite that our father did. It's almost as if they were motivated and said, rather than be victims and behave the way he behaved, we have a choice for ourselves. And we're going to do something different. 
He rebelled against the Lord and sought to bring down the people of God. We're going to stand up for the Lord and lead the praises and the worship of God and help and benefit the people of God. And years later, Second Chronicles 20 records it was the sons of Korah who were leading the praise and worship. And I find that such a beautiful thing because it's just a great reminder that, look, every life has an option. Every person. It does not matter what your father was like. It does not matter what your mother was like. It does not matter in those situations. You have a choice with what you do with your life. Don't live like a victim. Listen, I'm not trying to diminish the pain and the difficulty that comes along with those who have a father like a Korah. I'm not trying to diminish that. But what I am trying to tell you is don't settle for less and buy into the lie of the devil that you are therefore then subjugated to live as a victim and have a substandard life and ruin your own life just because your parent did. You don't have to do that. You can live differently through the power of Christ. You can live for the Lord and stand up and praise the Lord and be fruitful and beneficial for God instead. Verse 12, let's go on. Simeon then, we receive the numbers of his people from verse 12 down through verse 14. And he had the greatest decrease. He dropped all the way down, verse 14 says, to 22,200. That's some almost 60,000 40 years ago. So the greatest decrease of people happened in the tribe of Simeon, very likely because it was somebody from the tribe of Simeon that was involved in the plague that we just read about from chapter 25. So maybe many of those tribal people were involved in that plague. Verse 15, then it gives us the number from Gad from verse 15 down to verse 18. Uh, verse 19 then records the sons of Judah from verse 19 down to verse 22. It says that there were 76,500 of them. Uh, so there's a slight increase among the people of Judah. Verse 23 down through verse 25 gives us the numbering of the people of Issachar. They went up uh, slightly, verse 25, to 64,300 from 54,400 back in chapter 1. Chapter 20, uh, verse 26, excuse me, gives us the people of Zebulun from there in verse 26 and 27, a slight increase in their people. And then verse 28 down through verse 32 begins to give to us the people of Manasseh. Uh, and verse 34 says that there were 52,700 of them. And then the sons of Ephraim begin in verse 35 uh, down through verse 37 and we read that there was 32,500 of them so again a slight decrease uh, from around a little over 40,000 we're going quick enough for you all right you don't look you're suffering too much yet verse 38 the sons of Benjamin are given to us and their number is recorded there in verse 41 that there were 45,600 of them uh, so a slight increase for their tribe uh, verse 42 and verse 43 give to us the number of the people of Dan. Verse 44 down through 47, the people of Asher. Uh, verse 48, we get the sons of Naphtali uh, and their names and numbers are recorded down through verse 50. And then chapter uh, 26, verse 51 uh, gives to us the total culmination of all these tribes it says these are those who were numbered verse 51 of the children of Israel 601,730 now that's just slightly down if you remember from chapter 1 I'm sure that was so important that you say yeah I remember exactly uh, in chapter 1 the total number was 603,550 
So overall, there's a decrease of the total population of men 20 years old and older among the tribes. There's a decrease of a little over 1,800 people. Uh, which kind of reflects here about a, a, what we what statisticians, statisticians would call basically a zero population growth. Uh, over the course of those 40 years, you have about 1,800 different, but really it was a zero population growth. And let me just say, by way of a few observations here, uh, that's tragic, but it could have been way worse. You know, some people look at that and they really harp on the fact that, okay, there are 1,800 less men in the standing army than there was 40 years ago and so there's been no growth and so on and so forth I, I, I tend to look at that honestly from the opposite side of boy given what happened it could have been way worse I mean the plans of God could have been totally shipwrecked completely had God not preserved them for 40 years in the wilderness and graciously allowed that generation to die off and if you think of it despite the failure and the loss of many lives I mean you're talking Somewhere over six to seven hundred thousand people died in that 40-year journey. I mean, you're talking about a lot of people perished, and despite the failure and the loss of many lives, God sustained them and prepared them for entrance into the land where, yes, there was zero population growth, but at least he sustained about the exact same number in their standing fighting army to go into the land. Tragically, there was a great loss of opportunity but the purposes of God still came to pass. God's plans weren't shipwrecked. Though one generation didn't go in and though they blew it and they lost the opportunity, that did not foil God's plan ultimately. God was still able to bring about what he willed to bring his people into that land and God just brought it about through a new generation. God just raised up a new generation and a new group of people who he could accomplish the same purposes and plans and promises through. And he does it now through this next generation. A few other things just to take note of by way of some overall observations of this census. One thing that's interesting is the tribes that suffered the greatest loss. Again, I believe it's five tribes uh, total dropped in their numbers and uh, seven increased or, or vice versa. But the, the tribes that suffered the greatest loss and diminished the most are three. It was Reuben, Gad, and Simeon. And interesting enough, Reuben, Gad, and Simeon all dwell in the southern quadrant. Remember that they camped in groups of three around the a tabernacle there, north, south, east, and west. And Reuben, Gad, and Simeon, they all dwelt together in the south. And they are the three tribes that actually suffered the greatest loss of population and diminished the most. Interesting, those three tribes, when you take note of some of the stories of the failures and problems in Israel's history that we've gone through together, those three tribes were typically characterized for being the ones who caused the various episodes of things like rebelling against authority, complaining and criticizing, challenging what God was doing and living compromised and going after carnal sensual pleasures instead of pleasing God and as a result of that they diminished and they suffered the most and I'll tell you it's just a great reminder because the way that our spiritual life will diminish and will suffer is when we find ourselves guilty of those same things when we find ourselves rebelling against authority and being somebody characterized by complaining and criticizing and living compromised because we want to go after carnal and sensual pleasures, those are things that will drastically diminish. 
and take away from our lives and rob us of God's best. And these tribes suffered as a result of those things. And one other thing I would say this, again, as we look at these lists, and for us, you know, it's difficult. We think, what can we get out of that? I mean, here God numbers all these people. And, and I think it just reminds us very simply this, that God took into account every person because every person counts to God. Everybody counts to God. We don't have any idea who half of these people are in history. But God knew their names. God knew the number of every family, how many was in every family. He knows and cares about every life because every situation, every family, every person matters to God and therefore they're not overlooked. And you know what? Tonight, perhaps you just need to hear that if you think that you are just someone who lives in obscurity and the same way it seems nobody else knows about your life or what's going on in your life, I'll tell you this, God knows because God cares about you and you count to God and God's aware of everything about you and your situation and your circumstance. He knows your name. He knows everything about your life, your family situation. God took them all into account. God counted everyone because they all counted to God. And it's a shame sometimes that we go through life feeling like we don't count, but don't ever believe that that's true, because you do. God knit you together in your mother's womb. He created you. He knows every day of your life from the beginning to the end, and he's fully aware and has great care and concern and keeps adequate track of everything about your life and your family and your situation. Well, let's go on verse 53. At this point, now we see another reason this census was taken. As I said, it says to these... People now, the land shall be divided, God says, as an inheritance according to the number of their names. And here's the way God does this. Verse 54, look at it. To a large tribe, God says, you shall give a larger inheritance. That makes sense. And to a small tribe, you shall give a smaller inheritance. They don't need as much space geographically. Each shall be given its inheritance according to those who were numbered of them. But the land shall be divided by lot. And they shall inherit according to the names of their tribes and of their fathers. Verse 56, according to the lot, their inheritance shall be divided between the larger and the smaller. So notice, we see the second reason this census is taken so that it would help with planning and preparations to allot different territories geographically when they would get into the land. Now, this will happen under the days of Joshua once they take conquest of the land. But notice, God decided how the lot would be assigned to each one. It wasn't something they voted on. It wasn't something that they you know, cast lots for. There wasn't a lottery for it. Each person received what God determined that they would receive. God determined and decided what each person would be assigned, what their lot would be. And what's interesting, notice that God in his wisdom says, look, the smaller tribes, according to their population, they'll have a smaller area. And the larger tribes, so that it's adequate, they'll have a larger area geographically. And some people got a territory in the mountain areas. Some people got a territory in the valleys. Some got a territory in some of the desert areas. But it was God who determined what each person was assigned. And in a sense, you could say very clearly as you look at God's wisdom in doing this, the land they receive fit the need of their specific lives. If you were a smaller tribe, you got a smaller territory. If you were a larger tribe, you got a larger territory. But God made sure that what they received and assigned fit the need of who they were and what they were supposed to be. And it's just a reminder for us because the important thing for them was to just accept their lot 
to embrace their assignment and to flourish within the boundaries and the sphere where God had put them in as a people. And the same is true for our life. God assigns to each of us, if you would, our lot in life. God assigns us our boundaries. God puts us in the sphere where he puts us at and he gives us our assignment, whether it's the family that we're in or where we work at or our gifts or talents. And and for some of us, God gives us more and some of us, God gives us less. And some of us, God puts in this territory and some of us, God puts us in this kind of situation. The important thing is to just accept the assignment that God gives to you to know that it was his determination and his decision and to just flourish and be faithful in that assignment that God has given to you. And, and again, the Bible even pictures the body of Christ in this way, that you know, one person's an eye and one's an ear and one's a mouth and one's an arm and that all the parts, they have their function and, and they're intended to be in that role and each contribute and each maintain their own roles and responsibilities. So here God in this interesting way begins to speak of how he would distribute the land. Verse 57 we read, however, that those who were numbered of the Levites according to their families, Gershon, the family of the Gershonites, Kohath and Merari, their families, these are the families of the Levites, verse 58, the family of the Libnites and the Hebronites and the Malites, and the family of the Mushites and the Kohathites. And Kohath begot Amram, and the name of Amram's wife was Jochebed. Remember, that was Moses' mother. And she had three children, Aaron, Moses, and their sister Miriam. And to Aaron were born Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. And Nadab and Abihu, the Bible reminds us, again, almost as if so that we don't enter into these failures that at times were set before us as examples. Remember, they had died, Aaron's first two sons, when they offered profane fire before the Lord. We saw that back in Leviticus 10. Now, those who were numbered of them were 23,000, every male from a month old and above, for they were not numbered among the children of Israel because there was no inheritance given to them among the children of Israel these are those who were numbered by Moses and Eliezer, the priest who numbered the children of Israel in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from the Jericho. So here we take note that there is one tribe that was not numbered in that census that took place among the entire nation, all the fighting men 20 years old and above, and that was the tribe of Levi. And again, remember the reason for that is that the Levites who were ordained and selected by God, by his grace and sovereignty, to be the ministers spiritually among the congregation of Israel. The Levites were not numbered in that census because they did not serve in the army. And the Levites also did not receive an inheritance of land to work and to take care of as all the other people did in the other tribes. Uh, they had a different calling. They received a spiritual portion. Remember, it says that there was no inheritance given to them. It says verse 62. The reason is because God said to them, I'm your inheritance. And God, in essence, said to the Levites, listen, you're going to live in a different way because of your calling. And therefore, you'll receive a spiritual portion. The Lord was their inheritance. And then remember, they were scattered. The Levites were. The Bible tells us in 48 different cities all around the land of Israel. So God scattered some Levites over in this Levitical city and some over here and some over here. And the reason why God scattered the Levites in all different territories around the nation was so that there was always spiritual help accessible to his people 
in any way that they needed it rather quickly. They could always be close to a Levitical city and God put his spiritual ministers in these different territories so the help of God and spiritual influence was always very nearby his people that they could nearby to a Levite, they could go to one of the Levites or the priests and be taught the word of God and be ministered to and be helped and cared for spiritually. And of course, in that sense, we, you and I as Christians today are like Levites. We're like Levites in the sense that we are not living for an earthly inheritance. At least we shouldn't be. We're making a mistake when we do that too much as Christians. The Bible says our citizenship is in heaven. We, like the Levites, are looking for and are living for a spiritual inheritance. First Peter 1 says we have an inheritance in heaven. That's our inheritance. And we, like the Levites, are scattered all around for spiritual influence. God deposits us and scatters us. First Peter 1 says that we have been scattered as believers like seeds sown around so that we can have spiritual influence in different places. So God scatters some of you into this particular place and corporation and God scatters others over here and God scatters some into this school system and God scatters some believers into this neighborhood and to that family and he scatters us around that we can be a spiritual influence among people that God loves and cares for in all different areas. Verse 64 says, But among these there was not a man of those who were numbered by Moses and Aaron the priest when they numbered the children of Israel in the wilderness of Sinai. For the Lord had said of them, They shall surely die in the wilderness. So there was, look what this says, a reminder, There was not left a man of them except Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua, the son of Nun. And we know that's because they were the only two, remember, who had faith and said, hey, no, we should obey God. We should trust the Lord and go in and, and pursue what God's calling us to do. And God honored them because of that. God honored their faith and God set them apart. And interesting to think about, two men stood in faith against the other 600,000, if you would, that chose to live in unbelief and yet those two men stood strong in faith and God honored their faith. So listen, sometimes the majority spiritually is wrong. Many times you read through Israel's history and the majority was wrong. It was the minority, the few who said, hey, we should trust God. We should believe God. It seems that God is doing this. Let's, let's not look at things with our eyes. We should trust the Lord. And here God upholds these two men, Joshua and Caleb, as great examples of faith to us in the scripture. It says, then came the daughters of Zelophehad, verse 1 of chapter 27, the son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of Maker, and the son of Manasseh, from the family of Manasseh, the son of Joseph. And these, it says, were the names of his daughters. So the names of Zelophehad's daughters, Mela, Noah, Hagla, Milcah, and Tirzah. And they stood before Moses, before Eleazar the priest, and before the leaders of all the congregation by the doorway of the tabernacle of meeting. And they said, as they came to the tabernacle, these five daughters of Zelophehad, they said, Our father died in the wilderness, but he was not in the company of those who gathered together against the Lord in the company of Korah. So he wasn't involved in that rebellion thing, they said. Uh, but he simply died in his own sin and he had no sons, which would be a problem because inheritances were passed customarily 
and culturally through the sons in that day. So they have a real problem on their hand. They said, why should the name of our father be removed from among his family because he had no son? And they ask, give us a possession among our father's brothers. So here's the situation. This man, Zelophehad, who referenced in verse 1, uh, he only had daughters, multiple daughters, but had no sons. Well, as I said, culturally, in that day, the inheritance, the greater portion of it went to the firstborn son. Typically, the firstborn son got two-thirds of the inheritance, and then the remaining son split the remaining third of a father's inheritance. That was just the way it worked culturally in that day. So this created a real dilemma. These daughters of Zelophehad had to say, look, th- this is not good. Our father's name is going to be lost in history and the land and the allotment that was supposed to be given to our family. Why should he suffer and our family suffer? Why should my father be penalized just because he had daughters? And as a similar father, I say, amen. Why you, what's wrong with just having daughters? So they say, look, we're going to lose our inheritance. Can something be done? I mean, how do we handle this? They come with this honest presentation of this situation they're dealing with. Verse 5, look what happens. It says, so Moses brought their case before the Lord. Now, I like this. They come and they pose this issue to Moses. It was something that didn't have an adequate answer at this point. something nobody had ever brought up before him. And Moses said, that, that makes really good sense. I don't really know what to tell you in relation to that. And here's what I love. At this point, Moses had been leading Israel as a congregation for how long? It's not a trick question. How long? At least 40 years, right? Through the wilderness. He's been shepherding and leading his people for 40 years. And I want you to notice this. He doesn't have all the answers. Moses is posed with a situation and Moses says, you know what? I'm going to have to get back to you on that. (laughs) I don't know what the mind of the Lord would be in regards to that. I'm honestly not really certain. That's a good question. That's an interesting thing. Honestly, I'm not sure what the will of God would be. And I appreciate the humility the integrity, the honesty of Moses in this role of leadership to realize it's okay sometimes not to have the answers. Listen, that's important because sometimes if you're a parent, you feel like just because you're a parent, your kids expect you to always have an instant answer. You don't always have to have one. You can say Moses' words, you know what? Let me bring that before the Lord. (laughs) I'll get back to you on that. Let me bring, I need to pray about that. I'm I'm not sure about that. And it's a a wisdom of leadership at times to say, you know what, I don't have to make an instantaneous decision. In fact, it wouldn't that be good maybe if I make an impulsive instantaneous decision. And we see this a few times with Moses when the man broke the Sabbath law, remember? On another occasion when a man blasphemed, Moses said, put him in custody while we seek the mind of the Lord. And here Moses brings the case to the Lord. He says, Lord, I, I, I need to know what to do here. So he seeks God. He spends some time praying. He brings the matter before the Lord. And maybe that's a reminder for you tonight. Maybe don't make an instant decision. Maybe you're saying, I'm not really sure about this. I never, I never thought, I was never faced with this before. I'm really not sure what God's will would be in this. Then listen, bring it before the Lord. Bring it before the Lord and seek God and wait till God gives you his answer and he will. Because notice, Moses brought the case before the Lord. Look at verse 6. And the Lord, imagine that, spoke to Moses. God answered. 
God wants to answer and give us direction. God spoke to Moses saying, The daughters of Zelophehad speak what is right. You shall surely give them a possession of inheritance among their father's brothers and cause the inheritance of their father to pass to them. And you shall speak to the children of Israel saying, If a man dies and has no son, then you shall cause his inheritance to pass to his daughters. So a new statute is instituted, a law of inheritance now. It would go to the daughters if there's no sons. God's okay with that. Verse 9, if he has a daughter, or excuse me, has no daughter, then you shall give his inheritance to his brother. If he has no brothers, you shall give his inheritance to his father's brothers. And if he has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to the relative closest to him in the family, and he shall possess it. And it shall be to the children of Israel a statute of judgment. God institutes a new statute for this now, just as the Lord commanded Moses. So take note of a thing or two here. First of all, we take note in this little account that God sets before us here. Please see this because it represents the heart of God. We see that God cares greatly about the equality and the treatment of women and their rights being provided. Many times people have a very wrong perspective about about God. They read the New Testament and they say, well, Paul's chauvinistic and God's chauvinistic. Listen, God's word and the gospel of Jesus Christ in every culture has done more to help bless, benefit, and give equality and fair treatment and equal rights to women than anything in the planet. Anything. And the heart of God is never a a God that's chauvinistic, that sees women as inferior or less important. Listen, things were the way they were in ancient culture. That was the way things were culturally and customarily. But I want you to see here, God says, you know what, hey, what they're saying is right. And they should be treated fairly. And they should receive equality. And God says, I don't care what the culture does. I don't care what custom is. God says, I want them taken care of. I I want them treated properly here. And God shows his love for these women. And God stands up for their rights. God stands up for their rights in this story despite custom and culture. And God says, make sure that what they ask, they receive. He says, what they say is right. And they should receive equality and fair treatment in relation to this situation. God takes care of them. And it's just a beautiful picture of the heart of God. The other thing I see in the story, which is a great inspiration, is this. Is keep in mind, the faith and the inquiry of those few women, these few daughters of this man who died, coming to Moses. Again, they have an issue. And rather than take their issue into their own hands, what do they do? It tells us there in verse 2 that they brought the issue to the house of God. They brought it to the tabernacle of meeting. And they said, we have a situation we need to get resolved. And the way they get it resolved, they say, we need to go seek God's counsel. We need to get spiritual counsel. We need to go ask the people of God, the leaders of God, and get help and assistance. They bring it to the house of God. This inquiry is made. It's prayed about. God gives the answer. God institutes a new statute so that down the road, all future daughters or other situations, even if there are no daughters, the, the, the lot and the assignment of the land would stay the inheritance within the families. And in a sense, you could say it was the faith and the inquiry of these few women that brought the blessing of God to an entire congregation. What they did in their simple faith in taking a step of faith and asking this question and what they sensed God was leading them to do, and obviously God was leading because God honored, 
What they did, God institutes a new statue that, that, that really blesses an entire congregation currently and really became something that was a law that blessed future generations down the road. And I bring that to your attention to say this. You have no idea sometimes that there may be something very small that God puts on your heart in your little personal life. And you sense, you know what? I, I, I sense my heart is stirred about this and so I'm going to take a step of faith with this. And you have no idea if the smallest little stirring of something in your heart could actually be the seedbed of something God could use that could bless an entire congregation. That could bless potentially a whole future generation. We never have any idea. Listen, the Bible says don't despise the day of small things. We should never minimize anything. We never know what God just may use. And God used something simple of these few daughters here to do something that was very helpful and wonderful for a much larger group of people. Well, let's close there. Let's stand. Let's pray. We'll close out there and spend some time worshiping the Lord.